Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. It's so great to all of you tuning us in and turning us on. You know, many of you have heard me recently talk of growing up as an athlete, you know, what that was like. I mean, you've heard me share a little bit of stories here and there, especially in my profession, in the field that I um, I love and still play and still compete in. But you haven't really heard me talk about the dark side of anything. You know, and it's hard to do because I think a lot of times, especially as athletes, we want to squash down what it's like to get there because we so love the sport we are in. But I got to tell you, I got a great, fantastic, absolutely out of the park. That was a sports metaphor. Out of the port, park author, M.K. Lever, joining me here today. Surviving the Second Tier. This is a book, but it's actually more than a book. What it is, it is a story for our times. Because when you think about what is surviving the second tier really mean? And what is MK all about? Katie, former Division I athlete, yeah. current doctoral student, University of Texas, studies... <laughs> I love this. Oh, my God. I wish I could have picked my discipline in my program. NCAA rhetoric. This is a blockbuster novel that, in my opinion, should literally become a movie. And we're getting ready to talk about this as we follow Cicely Sis Jones, the only undefeated college athlete in the Amateur Fighting Association. Spotless record. But what does that mean? To somebody's life. MK, great to have you. What an introduction. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> well, you know, one athlete to another. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not quite like in the field you're in. Uh, I play a sport that when I tell people they laugh, that's okay. Um, but, you know, it is a competitive sport. I play table tennis at a competitive level level you know i oh, hold nice. state championships but i also understand what this is like i mean i went down the path of not even knowing that by taking a ten dollar award i declassified myself so you're you're here to tell us in a beautiful way first of all i love the way you wrote this i love this thank you thank you i appreciate that every author loves to hear that well i felt it can we talk about that for a minute? I know there are a lot of questions that I want to ask you about being a doctoral student. I know what that's like, but I'm going to get right at the heart of this. This book is about heart. It's about her heart. It's about your heart. It's about the heart of every athlete, 
right? Every college athlete that wants to excel, that wants to get on that first draft. But it's all the things your mama never told you, right, MK? <laughs> right, and I'm so, I love the way that you describe that, that it's a book about heart, because, you know, I tell people that I've written this book about college sports, and, and a lot of my non-sports fan friends, they kind of write it off because they're like, oh, I'm not big into sports, but it's really more of a, of a human story. And, and I did that on purpose, you know, because I think we as a society tend to really dehumanize athletes. We view them in terms of statistics or, you know, their salary totals or whatever metric we can put up against them and say, this is what you're worth. Um, and we really dehumanize them like that. We don't see that human side. We don't see the struggles as much. And I really wanted to highlight, as you said, that darker side that doesn't really get publicized that much. And I want to talk to you about this because I don't want to give away the whole book. For those of you tuning in, Surviving the Second Tier, it's a fantastic book. It is, you know, I mean, it is the kind of, uh, of novel you pick up, you read, and you feel like you're right there, right? You know, you feel every moment of what it's like to be sitting and doing an interview. And you feel the nerves. You feel, has my team really helped me? Do I feel betrayed? How bruised am I going to feel? How much should I take? But in the end, you know, this takes people on a journey because answer this for me. This whole journey starts, and please answer this for yourself as well. It starts with a passion. It starts with, I love this. It starts with, I want to do this. I want to be this. Did it start like that for you? And does it start like that for sis? Yes, I would say it definitely starts with passion and with drive. And, and those two things, you know, they're viewed very positively and they, they can be positive forces, but they can also be very dangerous and destructive forces. I think athletes are very good at, at pushing that line between positive and destructive when it comes to, to drive and passion and to wanting to be the best. And, you know, when I was a college athlete, I pushed that line a bit too hard. I, I was injured and I would push myself through injuries. I wouldn't give myself a day off. I had a very harsh inner critic. Um, and I never felt like I was good enough. But, you know, on the outside, I, I must have looked really, really great because I was, you know, I was winning awards and I was doing well. And, and you know, my team and I won conference championships. And it must have looked super glamorous from the outside. And people said, like, you know, Katie, you're doing so great. You're living this dream life. And I was like, you have no idea what this is taking out of me. Um, and, you know, when college sports ended, I really needed a way to process all of that because my identity was sort of taken from me when my sport ended. I realized years after I graduated that my coaches were behaving in an abusive way towards me, and that really, you know, affected me negatively. And in my, as I was transitioning to my doctoral program, I was losing sleep and, you know, having flashbacks and having all of these horrible um, repercussions from, you know, those five years when I was an athlete and pushing myself too hard and being pushed too hard. And so this book was really a great way for me to process all of that and to make sense of it. And hopefully other athletes can see themselves in it and also make sense of, of what they're going through or what they went through. You know, I want to I ask you this, too, because you really touched upon something that's really, really important. Um, you, you know, in my case, and I'm sure I'm no different than a lot of people, you know, I started out in a semi-professional fast-pitch softball at a very young age. Um, by the time that I was 19, I had a torn, uh, I just blew my knee out. And that became a lifelong journey. Um, there's, a, there's an upside to that story, which I don't think I have time to tell you today, because this is really about you. But, you know, when you get injured, you're right about this. 
I mean, I I got out on the field, and back in the day when you blew out your knee, it wasn't like today. It wasn't like orthoscopic, you're in and out. This was a really bad thing, right? But when I walked out on the field with a full leg cast to, to play shortstop, <laughs> do, you think, <laughs> do you think my coach said, get off the field? No. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm sorry I'm bringing up a silly example, but here we are today, and I want to ask you this question. You and I are not saying that people, and especially women, you'll never hear me say this, that people shouldn't explore their passion. I don't think that's what you and I are saying, in the, and you're not saying it in this novel, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely not. Okay. I, I think and it should explore your passion for sure. But aren't you also, in a beautifully woven story, showing people a picture of what to prepare for? Yes, and, and that was another thing too. I wanted to paint a more realistic picture of college sports and of the industry, because like I said, it's so glamorized from the outside. Um, and, and I love how you, you're talking about it, there's, it's not a bad thing to explore your passions. I think that you should do that. But I think as you're doing that, whether it's in a sport or in your work or in a relationship or whatever, you shouldn't lose sight of who you are as a person. And you should take care of yourself in the process of, of exploring your passions and finding what you want to do in your life and, and going for it. You know, because I'm a doctoral student right now. I'm also a freelancer. I am a head editorial for a company that I really care about, and I'm a creative writer. So I have a lot of different passions, but I have to really consciously make sure that I'm making the time to nurture myself and to nurture my relationship and to take days to rest and to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. Because if I don't do those things, then those passions are going to become harmful, and I'm going to burn out and hate what I'm doing. And I, I, I did that with running, and I don't want to do that with anything ever yeah. again. Now, I have to pick up on what you just said, but I want to get to the character, sis. Um, a little yeah. background on me. I grew up in a boxing family. Just saying. When ah. I was five, <laughs> when I was five, most young girls living in the Bronx, coming from an Italian family, they get like dolls and, you know, right back in the day. My uncles gave me an authentic pair of boxing gloves. <laughs> now, I don't awesome. know why they, think about it. I don't know why they thought at five that I've even put together that I got the boxing gloves of a lightweight champion and they gave me these gloves and they, that I was, but I put them on and I couldn't take them off. This book focuses on a sport that is becoming quite popular. Mm -hmm. What was your thinking? Because you could have touched upon like a lot of things, right? But this is one sport in particular that there are now more movies being made of, more, especially around women, more conversations about, and yet nothing about the college level. Am I off on that? No, I, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. It's so funny because when I wrote the book, I, I had no experience. I, I wasn't a college fighter. Like I was a runner in college. There was no. <laughs> well, we threw elbows every once. No contact in, in you know distance running. Um, so I, I don't have a fighting background. I started covering women's MMA after I published my book. 
And that was when I realized, like, wow, this really is a popular sport and it's gaining a lot of momentum, especially on the women's side, like you said. Um, but when I was writing the book, I, I, I would just watch, like, MMA highlights. I would try my best to describe that. You know, I, I knew what, like, a right hook and an uppercut were, you know. So there were some moves <laughs> that I was aware of, but the rest of it was just me watching, like, ESPN and, and piecing everything together. And as I was writing, I was really insecure about it. I was like, I hope my fight scenes are good. Because um, I don't know what I'm doing there, and then people would like my, my test readers would get back to me. They'd be like, "The fight scenes were the best." I was like, "Oh, thank God," because I was kind of riding blind there. Um, but the reason that I chose fighting is because, you know, I think that the, there's a real brutality about the sport of American football that we're not really investigating enough as a society. And I wanted to use fighting as sort of a metaphor for that, for how we normalize that level of violence and head injuries and and injuries in general and how damaging they can be. Um, the thing with MMA, you know, that we don't really see with college sports is that, you know, these athletes have a lot more of a choice to fight, whereas college athletes, they're oftentimes fighting for a scholarship or, you know, fighting to get out of, you know, like out of poverty and into a good career. And so there's not really that element of choice that an MMA fighter might have, whereas they could go off to another career. College athletes oftentimes don't really have that option, you know. Um, and so I really wanted to highlight how these athletes are sort of forced, in a way, to put themselves in the line of fire and damage their brains and their bodies in order to get by. Um, and I didn't want to do, I didn't want to do football because I feel like football's been overdone. There's, yep. you know, a lot of football movies and a lot of coverage around football. Um, and so I wanted to make it a little more niche and a little more, um, I guess a little more, I, I don't want to say violent, but just like a little a little closer to home where people could sort of connect the dots and say like, oh, you know, maybe maybe this is something that's really going on in college sports in a way. You know, I want to take people on a journey. I want to give them a little hint about the story we're talking about. I mean, I, I want to just, just comment to you on how beautiful the dialogue is in here because you know, when I start to read things, and I start to read things as I rise back up, still watching myself in the mirror in front of me, I notice a familiar likeness. That, I mean, I'm right there. See, I love that you wrote like this. I'm right there. And so I want to give our audience an essence of this journey and, and how it does start as a passion. You know, my mama used to say to me, girls, you got to watch out for the frog. And we, my, my mama, my stepmama was from the South. She had her first trial at 12, second and third. She'd say, you guys got to watch out for the frog. And we'd be like, okay, what is that about, warts? She said, no, here's the thing. So you ever notice when you take a frog and you put a frog in hot water, that frog is going to jump out. You're never going to catch that frog. It's gone. But try putting that frog in cold water and slowly turning up the heat. The frog doesn't even know it's going to boil to death. And my sense is, and what I've learned, is that this is the essence and could be of collegiate athletics because it does start out with the passion and the purpose. And before you know it, you don't even know that you have compromised your body. You may have compromised your values. You're not quite sure why you're still there. And despite being knocked down a couple times, you cannot not get up. Isn't that, you know, sort of a simplified version of what we need to talk about? But the other part of this is 
is there anybody there telling us, hey, you're about to boil yourself to death here, uh, <laughs> MK? Yeah, I mean, you touch on a lot of, a lot of, I don't want to say good stuff, but, you know, realistic stuff there when, when you talk about that, that frog in the water um, and how, you know, you just increase that temperature very, very gradually and then before you know it, you're boiling alive. Um, and I think that really speaks to the normalization of all of this in college sports. Like, when I graduated, I remember waking up on a Saturday morning and being like, wow, I don't have to run, you know, 15 miles this morning. And thinking about how I have normalized, you know, running 15 miles on a Saturday. And how, yeah. you know, if you want to do that as a marathoner, that's fine. But, but it, it just, like, it, it blew my mind how I normalized that, how I normalized you know, training on Sundays when I should have been resting and, and, and working out every single day. Um, and, you know, letting letting my coaches tell me that I was lazy for not wanting to train through an injury and things like that. Um, so I think that really speaks to how we normalize that, that sort of treatment of athletes. Like, we expect for athletes to be able to take that because it's a part of their job. Yeah. I want to ask you this. People have probably asked you this a million times. They, are you writing about yourself? I'm sure they ask you that. I already know the answer because it's really hard. So I don't want to answer it for you, but it's really hard to outline and create a beautiful story like this that really has so many exposés and not have a piece of ourselves in it, right? Would you agree? Yes, and you know, this is a debut novel for me, so I, I'd always wanted to write one. I just, you know, I didn't really know where to start, and my developmental editor was phenomenal, and she, you know, she gave me very basic but very good creative writing advice, which is to write what you know, um, and so she was telling me, you know, as we're leading up to these fight scenes, like, I want to feel what you felt before a race. Like, I want to feel that anxiety, you know, because I, I, was, a, I was a distance runner in college, and so the, the, I, I would, I would, I was never getting ready to fight, but I was always getting ready to go through some pain and to have to endure something and to just, you know, deal with anxiety and doubt. And so my, my developmental editor was like, I want to feel that as a reader. Um, and so I think that, I think you're right that, you know, it's very difficult to write creatively without putting parts of ourselves in our writing. Mm -hmm. So this isn't necessarily like a carbon copy of me, I wouldn't say. There are some people who say like, oh, you're sis, and I'm like, no, I'm not. I promise I'm not. Like, I don't think, I don't think like her, I don't do what I do for the same reasons that she yeah. does. It might manifest similarly yeah. in my life. Um, but there are definitely some similarities there. How would you describe the journey of Sis as it is in the book? And, and, you know, and of course, we're not going to give away the whole story. But I would love for people to have the essence of the journey that they will go on when they read this book and, and really get to know Sis. I really think it's a story of personal growth. Um, I'm a huge fan of, of good character arcs. And I think that what you see, she starts out competing in a very obsessed and borderline selfish way. Um, and she goes through a lot in her, so the basic, like the backstory um, is that she's a senior, she's the only undefeated fighter in the AFA, um, and this is in a future where fighting is the only sport in college sports. Um, so it's a downsized model, she's the only undefeated fighter, she feels like this underdog, like she's got something to prove, um, and so she is just, you know, banging her head against the wall trying to succeed and really, you know, ostracizing relationships and hurting herself in the process of, of seeking that level of glory. Um, and, and so she goes from this obsessed and borderline selfish fighter to, you know, putting her skills and her talents towards something much 
bigger than herself. And I'm not going to give away what that is, but it really is a story of, of personal growth and development at, at its core. Yeah. Um, I want to jump to a couple of other things that are also in this journey that are not necessarily about her, but about the environment and the culture, if I could. Um, one yes. of the things that uh, that I was struck by is I have worked with many coaches in many different sports, right? No, that's not true. I work with many coaches in two sports primarily, uh, softball, both fast pitch, slow pitch, and championship table tennis. My table tennis coach was amazing. He was the national champion of Ghana. He was as sweet and as amazing as can be. A couple years ago, I started to work with a different coach. And, you know, I mean, I'm not 20 anymore, and I know how to take verbal abuse. And I understand it. And this book really takes people through the wide range, let's just say a tapestry of the interplay between athletes, the system, and the coaches. I mean, I remember one part of the book where there was a description of one of the coaches being accused of hitting an athlete. And I just thought, okay, MK has not left anything out of this book. Can you talk to that, please? Because I think that was maybe one of the goals, is to just give people a wide berth to say these are the potential situations that could happen in today's world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are situations that are happening. You know, you, you, we, we just talked about how much of the story is my story personally and, yeah. and you know, how much of myself that I put in my writing. A lot of the, the coaches' quotes that I use, um, you know, you talk about that verbal abuse. A lot of those were, were things that my coaches told me as an athlete. Um, and, you know, those things that really, really stick with me. And that was something my copy editor pointed out. She was like, this is a great quote. And I'm like, thanks, it's real. Um, <laughs> it wasn't great when my coach said it to me. <laughs> um, but, you know, but, but yeah, there are so many, like, power imbalances between athletes and coaches. And that's become just an increasingly huge part of my research is exploring those dynamics, um, you know, and trying to forge a better way forward for athletes and coaches in the industry because when you have coaches who have a lot of, of not only, you know, not, not only resource power, you know, because coaches, um, they have access to scholarships and playing time and all kinds of things that coaches or that athletes need, yeah. but they can also be very good at getting into the heads of athletes and, and manipulating them and coercing them into doing whatever the coach wants. And, you know, I had coaches who would do that to me when I was injured. I would have coaches who would tell me, you know, oh, your teammate's worse than you, and she's not complaining, so what's your excuse? Right. And, like, you're being selfish for not training through this injury. You made a promise to the team. And so they really made me feel awful for having basic human weaknesses and needs. Um, and, and that was just one of the ways that, you know, coaches can use athletes beyond their limits and, and really push them too hard. Mm. Look, I want to take a minute. I've got a couple more things I want to chat with you about, but I really want people to know how they get a copy of the book, how they find out about you, all of the above. Please provide us with that information um, I, I, because what we're talking about here, and I'm not saying that it's a generalization, but I highly recommend 
anybody out there that's thinking they have children that are going to go to school and they are going to participate in athletes, this becomes a guide of what to be aware of at so many levels. How do people get the book and how do they find out more about you? Yeah, th- thank you for that description. That's that's very spot on. Um, but you can find the book on Amazon. Um, just look up Surviving the Second Tier in the little search bar and it'll pop right up. Um, my Instagram and Twitter handles are Lever Fever. It's just my last name followed by the word fever. Um, and you can find the purchase links in my bios. And I also post my freelance stuff on there. So like a, a lot of my public scholarship, um, I, I post on social media. So if you want to you know, learn more about my research, that's there as well. Yeah, I gave you the French pronunciation of your name, by the way, and it is M.K. Lever. I think I gave you my, uh, <laughs> I think I gave you my Portuguese background pronunciation of your name. <laughs> I'll make sure we correct it in the interview. Uh, you know, and, and you know, I have to tell you, it was actually Freudian, because you know, look, a lot of us grew up with challenges in life. I've talked about mine here recently, especially being learning different. I'm like you. I had to balance a doctoral career that I just, I can't even believe I I got in that program. But there's something here that is calling you forward to be able to provide people. And I mean people, athletes, moms, dads. And boy, have we heard it from moms and dads in so many sports, right? But not quite in the way you've laid it out in this book. Because this is, this is not like a book that says, this is what's going on, that's what's going on. This is a journey of a person, their real feelings, what's going on in their minds. Do I really get up? Can I get up? What is happening? That was such a hard hit to his chest. I mean, people are immersed in this. What is your vision, MK? What is your vision for, for the book? What is your vision for your message? Well, yeah, you mentioned it being turned into a movie. That would be the ultimate dream would be to see it on screen. Oh, yeah. um, you know, because one of, one of I think, the downsides of, of academic writing for me is that it's very much like get the information on paper however you can. Like, just make sure you're getting the facts on paper. Whereas, like, with creative writing, you can get into the emotions and really get deep with it and take somebody on a journey. And so... You know, my my vision for this book is for it to be used as an educational tool for people. I really want people to read this and to think like, okay, I learned something about college sports in a very unique way, and I care about these athletes now, um, and I want to get involved. Um, and so I really, I wanted this book to be an educational tool. I'd love to get it out to as many, you know, outlets and mediums as possible. Um, and I just want, I want my message to be heard. That was my, my biggest goal of, of writing my book was making sure that people were better informed consumers because mm-hmm. I think when you're a better informed consumer you are a more responsible consumer even when you know you're looking at an industry that is you know arguably a monopoly um, and that's going to be very difficult to take down I think that just being aware of the challenges and the struggles that the athletes go through within that system is, is very important and very empowering for consumers you know here's what I want to say and I love this what I'm not talking about, and I want to make sure I get it in, is while we're talking about a book about uh, uh, athletes and one in particular, but it's about an athlete and it's about a specific sport. One of the things I want to be really clear of for everybody listening, it's a beautifully written book. And what I mean by that is I know we're talking about the topic, 
But the way that you can tell whether or not you are really in the middle of the story is by feeling it. And so this isn't just a book about an athlete or a journey or what's going on in on the collegiate realm or even in, in, in the system. This is a story and a journey you will go on with one and other characters about what people will do when their hearts are in the right place, their passion is in the right place, and they don't even know what they don't know about what they're signing up for. Did I, is that accurate? Yes, yes, I think that's very accurate. Yeah, and it's at the heart, but it's at the soul, but it's also at the action level, isn't it? Because aren't you also looking to help make change here, MK? Yes, I, I'm involved in, in different advocacy efforts to reform college sports. Um, my public scholarship is also, and, and my academic work is, is, is very, very much focused on, mm -hmm. on action and making sure that, you know, we are doing what we can. But, you know, because like I said, the college sports industry is so big and it can be so overwhelming when you're trying to mm -hmm. change it and tackle it from the outside. But there are always things that, you know, consumers can do. There are different advocacy groups they can get involved in. Um, they can support college athletes now that they have uh, name, image, and likeness rights. That's a great way to, you know, put your money towards something that you care about. Um, and just, you know, supporting politicians who are drafting legislation to support college athletes are, is another great way to um, support their rights. So it, it's difficult, you know, when you look at this massive industry and think, wow, this is overwhelming and there's nothing I can do. But there's always something that you can do. I love it. Now, look, last question. I'd love to know your personal message. Again, tell people how they can get the book. And, and really, you know, what's the next step for you? Yeah, so the book is on Amazon. You can look at uh, Surviving the Second Tier on the search bar, and it'll pop right up. Um, and then also on my socials um, on Instagram and Twitter, my handle is Leverfever. Um, and I'm sorry, what was that last part of the question? <laughs> I'd love to know your personal message, what you'd like to leave everybody with today. Yeah, my, my personal message is, you know, we're talking about drive and we're talking about passion. Everybody has something to offer this world, I think. Um, and, and I believe that, you know, it's our job as humans to go at those things with everything that we have and to leave the world a better place than we found it. But I also think that we need to find time for balance and rest and restoration. Um, and so my personal message, is, my personal message is to go after what you want <clears throat> with everything that you have, um, but also take care of yourself in the process. Thank you for everything you're doing. And I just want to say to those uh, folks out there that have these production companies, everybody from Brad Pitt to Plan B to Charlize Theron to Reese Witherspoon, you know, uh, uh, to Margot Robbie, all of you out there, you are in the market for a book like this. These are the stories you're bringing to the forefront. You're not afraid of a challenge. I hope you get your hands on this book and I hope you have a conversation with MK. And I know if she doesn't yes, send you I a copy of the book, I'm going to make sure I send it to you. Right, MK? <laughs> yes, and I'm happy to work with anyone who wants to make that dream a reality for me. I love it. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. Thank you for the time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Everybody, MK Lever, Surviving the Second Tier, Amazon, great book. Share it. Give it to your moms, the dads. Please read the book. All right, everybody, short break. We'll be right back.
Are you ready? The Cornelia Stephanie Show. Wake up to love your call to action. Join Cornelia as she empowers others to live heaven on earth. Cornelia teaches listeners how to be the authority over yourself, embracing your inner guru. Feel yourself uplifted into limitless expansion, integrating ease and grace in a changing world. This show will cover topics such as unconditional love, your physical body, how to be in extraordinary relationships, create financial and emotional wealth, embracing entrepreneurship in the new earth. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Cornelia Stephanie Show, Stories of Hope Today. My guest today is Jenny Kahn. Uh, she's a psychic medium who has immense respect for psychology and an insatiable thirst for understanding the relationship between spirit and the human existence. She's an empath, very in tuned into the etheric plane, extremely sensitive to subtle energies and eager to serve your highest good. She offers modern digestible knowledge surrounding mediumship and psychic abilities. She is supported by a lifelong passion for psychology and, of course, spirit. Her belief is that we are all spirits having a human experience, and we all have access to senses beyond what we've been taught. Her intention is to spread this awareness and assist others in learning how to lean into spirit to co-create beautiful, to create a beautiful life for themselves. Welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you so very much. Did I say your last name correct? You did, yes. Okay, I, I didn't ask you that before the show. So we were talking and I asked you, because you, you are a psychic, and I said, did you psychically <laughs> draw yourself into this experience, right? And then you said... I think the, the quick answer is yes. And then the story behind that was uh, I just launched my own podcast and I really wanted to dip into the energetics of how this work is done. I, I'm, I, my energy can break things that are tech oriented. And so I tend to stay away from anything that is uh, involving a microphone or a laptop. And so I knew that I needed to get familiar in this atmosphere. And so I joined the podcast collaborative Facebook community, I believe. And it was so many people and so many um, opportunities that I felt a bit overwhelmed. So I let my intuition guide me on like two different days. And I just only reached out to the people that I got that, that gut hit, that would be a good fit. And then I kind of surrendered and I didn't do it again. And everyone that I did reach out has contacted me. And so it actually has worked out beautifully because I am learning as I do this with you. And now I just feel supported from the other side because everything has, has gone easily thus far. I have not broke, broke anything that I know. Well, the mic didn't work, but <laughs> we're, we're past that. We figured it out. <laughs> yeah. And that was just a very short thing. I mean, you should have seen, there were so many other things that have happened uh, before in different, in different areas, but I just want you to know that a lot of times when people come on this show and when they are sitting in this energy together with me is they feel seen, mm -hmm. they feel heard and they feel seen in their highest because this is the work that I've done on myself and also what I bring to other people, which is why the Stories of Hope is such a huge success. And also what people tell me all the time is that they feel seen in the energy. Like literally when you get off today, you're most likely going to be 
you know, feeling it even more, affirming even more the work that you're doing. So it's really wonderful. Are you going to have a call-in show? Uh, yes, I believe I will do that. Right now I'm just recording, so I'm not there yet. I'm still sort of learning how to, how to do everything, uh, but I would like that in the future. Good. That's awesome. Well, I want to support and energize you in that and support you for that. So tell us about what you want to uh, address, because we have just a few short minutes. Let's get get to the nugget, the gold, what it is that you want to talk about. And then we'll let people know how they can find you and how they can follow you with your amazing work. Thank you. I think if, if, if I just had a few minutes to speak with somebody, I would really want them to know that we all have a spirit within and I am a certified and registered medium and I, I do communicate to the other side, but that conversation to me is less important than the conversation to the spirit within. And that is what I really want people to leave with that knowledge that you have a spirit that came here. And there are things that you are meant to learn. There are areas that you are meant to grow in. And if at all you have conflict in your life or anything that um, you're uncomfortable with, there is a reason why and you're, you're not going in the right direction right now. And so we have intuition. We have psychic abilities. I do believe that we all have mediumship abilities. I like to say, um, if you've ever prayed to a higher source, you're using your mediumship. You just haven't learned to listen yet. And this human body is how we listen. And so um, my dominant Claire, we, we listen through different Claire, sentient, Claire senses and mine is claircognizance and that's clear knowing and clairsentience, which is clear feeling. So I feel a lot in my body and I think my dials were turned a little too far up in my life. So I would have anxiety. I would even think that I would have multiple personality disorders because I would feel so much in different settings. And until I learned how to turn those down and have healthy, energetic boundaries, I, I was really not in a healthy or happy place. And so I like to say I fought my way out of a very dark hole with a fork because I, I could have been a stereotype. I could have definitely stayed where I was at, but I knew if other people were living beautiful and healthy lives that it was an option for me. And so I just kept asking questions and, and seeking help where I didn't know how to help myself, surrounding myself with people that believed in my dreams, even though they seemed so impractical at the time. And I learned how to heal from the inside out. And so now my work, my mission, my, my love is to help other people have that conversation with the spirit within, learn how to listen to their body, learn how to lean on spirit, the universe, the other side, to help them create a life that they love. I love that. I love everything you said, that you really learned how to embrace your empathic nature, which is really a big piece to discover that Mm -hmm. we are all empathic beings. Yes. That we're here to feel. And you, you said it in your bio that you're extremely sensitive. And that was most likely the reason why that overwhelm or they, that anxiety came in because you were so sensitive. So mm. the people that are really sensitive, rather than numbing it up or yes. dumb it down, yes, right, mm-hmm. uh, really embracing it like, wow, these intuitive gifts, these extrasensory abilities, how can I now embrace all of those superpowers? Because essentially that's what it is these are your gifts to embrace 
now in this lifetime. Would you say yeah. that's true? A hundred percent true. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, how do you, so you help people connect to their spirit within, do you give them readings? They come to you and they ask you questions about their life or do you work more with them and their soul? Both. Uh, I think, you know, when you're, when you're working with somebody that this is new to, there's a lot of fear, you know, organized religion for a long time has really put a lot of parameters around what we should and should not believe should and should not do. And so sometimes all it is, is just letting somebody know that their sensitivities are a gift and just listening to them and, and holding a space that's safe and letting them talk. Other times when I'm, when I'm working with somebody that is more spiritually um, awake and I, I'm not saying, I, I hope I'm not over speaking here, but um, I, I, yes, I will say, may I call in your guides? I would like to call in my guides. Let's have a conversation that's going to support your highest good and what is going to support you in the here and now. And the conversation we have today could be very different than the conversation we would have had a year ago or a year from now, because it's all what's current now. And I can feel that whether it be psychically or mediumshipistically. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, how are you feeling about my energy together with you? Oh, you're very grounded. I knew at the minute I, I, you're grounded, you're organized, you're safe. Um, I feel like you own your own stuff and have taken a lot of radical responsibility in your life. I do feel seen by you and I'm just excited to continue a relationship with you. Oh, that's super awesome. We're definitely going to contact you again to talk to you further about other things as well. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> be in touch with you. So uh, let's tell the audience where they can look you up, where they can find you. We have about a minute left and okay. uh, let us give them all your social media handles. Oh, thank you. So I, I really believe in the medium. My business is the medium experience, fully believe in that, but I also feel like the human experience is equally as important. I love to live a beautiful life. I love champagne. I do a champagne channeling feature um, where I just sort of play with the energetics of luxury. I sometimes will give uh, spirit messages on Instagram, which is the medium experience. I do not like to say I drink and work with spirit, but I am playful in the luxuriousness of what champagne offers us. And I also, um, my, my website is www.themediumexperience.com. I offer readings and I am doing a spiritual retreat in September called Jouvois. It's French for IC and it is in Palisade, Colorado. Oh, good. Then you can give us, <laughs> you can give us the, you know, the links and everything when that time comes, stay in touch with us, but yes. we'll be in touch with you, Jenny Khan. Thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your beautiful energy and also for bringing the luxury back. I'm totally with you. Oh, good. Good. Oh, it was a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for having me on. I look forward to more connections. Definitely. We're going to take a break on the Cornelia Stephanie show. We'll be right back. TransformationTalkRadio.com Everybody, welcome back to the Cornelia Stephanie Show. Stories of hope today. I want to introduce you to Mary Held. When I watched her videos on unfreezingtrauma.com, go to unfreezingtrauma.com and look at those videos and hear Mary talk. You have to watch it. They're short videos. So 
uh, 10 minutes. Anybody that you know that's suffering from trauma needs to listen to this. Mary Held has spent 11 years suffering with debilitating seizures, despite following the recommendations coming from different diagnoses of physicians, neurologists, and psychiatrists. She then was introduced to the eye movement desensitization and reprocessing called EMDR. And after four months of intense therapy, she was almost seizure free and full of joy. Her current mission is to tell everyone that, uh, that she can about this unusual therapy and how it changes lives. Welcome to the show today, Mary Held. Thank you very much, Cornelia. I'm glad to be here. So here you are completely seizure free where before you were having all of these seizures and they were telling you, you know, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, maybe it's, oh, what did they call it? Epilepsy? Yes. You went with epilepsy for a long time. Right. And so, and now you're seizure free. So you, you, you uh, got introduced to the EMDR. That's the part I didn't, I didn't finish watching on your videos where, um, how did you get introduced to EMDR? Well, I go to 12 set meetings. Okay. And I was in a meeting having a seizure and the man sitting next to me touched my arm and I calmed down, which usually doesn't happen. And after the meeting, he said, I think you could use EMDR because it's been very useful to me. And so he gave me the name of his therapist and gave me the titles of some books. And I thought about it for a while and built my courage up for a while built my hope up for a while, and then started making calls to try to find someone. That took a while, and it takes, takes a lot of effort to make those phone calls. It's not like you sit down and you make three or four in a day. You make one a day, then you build your hope up and courage up again to make one tomorrow. Finally, I found someone, and we really clicked. I really trusted her, and off we went. I mean, it's, I find it so interesting that our medical system failed you. Um, if you wouldn't have been at the 12 step meeting and the man wouldn't have put his hand on your arm and said, I think you could use EMDR. That takes courage to do that, to say that. And then you receiving the help that you needed in order to be able to be seizure free today. I just think this is like a divine appointment. It is, you know, a miracle in the making. It is all of the above. I just find this such extraordinary uh, storytelling and life experience. Yeah, when, when you're open enough and you ask for help, it's like you create this energy pull that people will come and help you, I think. Yeah. That it kind of happens that way. Yeah. Now, Mary, you are a mathematician. You've been a teacher, right? All of right. your life. What are you doing now? What, what's, your, what's your work now? Right now, I'm retired. And uh -huh. what my work is, setting up podcasts and trying to sell my book. Talking to people about EMDR. Good. Just getting that message out there as much as I can. Yeah, that's really awesome. Uh, do you have your book handy there by you? It's called Unfreezing Trauma. Yep. Show it my up. Private, nice. Show it up my, nice to the picture. My private journey of EMDR recovery. 
you know, look how beautiful that cover is. That's a really gorgeous cover, by the way. Thank you. That whoever did that, they they knocked it out of the park for you. Yeah. They did a great job. And I also love unfreezing trauma. Because that, that's what it what it feels like. You have this thing that happens to you. And rather than processing it and making a part of your life and going along with it, it kind of freezes. And when it comes back to you, it's exactly the way it was with all the emotion and all of the feelings that went along with it. Well, I froze all those emotions and I hid them inside my head, like the whole right side of my brain was all of this hidden trauma that I wasn't looking at and just shoving emotions in there. And so when we started getting rid of the traumas, there were some that were real obvious that we went through it at first. And then there was one that was just hiding away back there. And we went looking for it and followed that idea of we're looking in this stone cave in your in your mind in this little box that has all these chains on it and it's hidden away and we have to find it and get close to it and open it up when we when we first opened it i just totally lost my mind and we didn't do anything else that session except me screaming and pounding on the table and i thought well we won't do that again <laughs> but then the next session, we went right back into it and got it solved, got it resolved, got it processed. Got it processed because you are willing to face now what was hidden there. That was a traumatic experience that happened in your life, whether it was in this life or another life. But wherever the trauma came from, it's yours. And it was causing seizures. And so then yes. EMDR is like some form of rapid eye movement. Tech, is that right? Um, it's a bilateral stimulation. So okay. like I followed her fingers going back and forth in front of my face. They okay. use some people use light bars. You mm -hmm. can use headphones with the tone that goes back and forth with children. They'll often tap one knee and then the other knee. It okay. just stimulates it both sides. Okay. It stimulates both sides, which basically then opens it up rather Open than shut it, it down because maybe the seizures was because it was an imbalance and it was shut down in the um, brain? It was like frozen in the brain. Frozen in the brain. Wow. Frozen in the brain. So how long have you been seizure-free, Mary? I've been seizure-free actually for about 15 years now. That is extraordinary. I oh, mean, it's just a joy. It is just a daily joy. I get still get joy from doing little things, from being able to do little things, because I wasn't able to do hardly anything. You know, um, for the first five years of the seizures, I couldn't do anything on a regular basis. I couldn't predict that I could be so seizure free enough to do something. Yeah. Were you able to drive your car? Um, I, I don't know if this was legal. The doctor took me off for six months while we went through and made sure that I had an aura for every seizure. And if you have an aura, then you know a seizure is coming. So I always knew a seizure was coming so I could pull off the road if I was going to have a seizure. Now, I don't know if DMV likes that, but 
that's the way it was. Yeah. I just, I'm so glad that you were in the 12 step program, that that man put his hand on your arm and that you listened to him because you could have just also said, what is EMDR? What is he talking about? Never did, did anything about it. And you actually saved your life. He saved your life. And now you're helping other people. I want to be able to tell everyone where they can find you. So let's give, let's give all those social media handles. Like let's give that um, website that I talked about earlier, the unfreezingtrauma.com, unfreezingtrauma.com. And then are you on Facebook as well, Mary? Facebook at unfreezing trauma. Facebook at unfreezing trauma. And then are you on LinkedIn or anywhere else? Um, what I'd like for people to do is just email me if they have questions. Um, my email is unfreezingtrauma911 at gmail.com. And then they can just contact me. Good. And then the other thing is they can go to Amazon and buy Amazon. your book. and buy the book. And buy the book. Yeah. Yeah, that's fabulous. I think it's so wonderful what you're doing. I was so impressed by seeing those videos. I really like that website. Uh, is that part of uh, an, an organization or is that your website? It's just my website. Yeah, that that was really well done. I just want to give you all the kudos, you know, amazing book cover, uh, great videos straight to the point you told the story so well and mm -hmm. i love that you're out there now helping other people and definitely i'm glad that you came on this show so that we can spread your message out well thank you for having me yes so That's would great. you like to leave the audience with any particular message any anything anything of hope that you want to say before we close out today i know that it is hard anybody who has trauma Anybody who's dealing with PTSD, this is very hard. And it is hard to get the energy and the hope together to start something new. But this one works. This one is worth it. So if you can get it together, get yourself together, try to make some phone calls. On my page, there are resources. You can go to Psychology Today, search your area for a therapist, Search for a therapist that knows EMDR, call them, make sure they're using EMDR. Do a little bit of talk beforehand because you're going to want to trust them because your mind is going to change. Your memory is going to change. How you feel is going to change. How you think is going to change. Things are going to move around and you want to trust somebody and make sure they didn't just, you know, give you some drug to make it happen, you know? Because at Thank times you. it feels like they put a computer in your brain and you just have all this new stuff. Thank you so much, Mary Held. Thank you for listening and tuning into the Cornelia Stephanie Show. See you. Bye. You've been listening to the Cornelia Stephanie Show, Wake Up to Love, your call to action. Tune in each week on Transformation Talk Radio. Cornelia's joy is to engage others in practical ways, showing us how to live in the new earth in harmony with our true nature. For more information on Cornelia and her extraordinary work, or to listen to past shows, go to her website at corneliastephanie.com.